Good day to your kingdom family. This is Johan Potgita with John chapter 20. And just before we get into our chapter, I just want to mention something from our session yesterday when we spoke about Jesus being on the cross and he said, I thirst. Uh, it was brought to my attention that there's a very important point there that I neglected to mention. And I want to quickly just go there. Remember we said when Jesus said, I thirst, one of the reasons for him um, wanting a drink was so that he could clearly and um, vividly declare that the work is finished when he said it is finished. But something that's very, very important, this was also the cup that Jesus was to drink, which is referred to as the bitter cup, or then it's also referred to as the cup of God's wrath, or then the cup of God's judgment. Jesus that day when he drank of that cup, took upon himself the judgment that was associated with the sins of the world. Now, let me just quickly explain. For every sin, there's a judgment from the Old Testament. So when Jesus died on the cross, not only did he die for our sins, but for every judgment associated with every sin. That's why we are free from judgment. I have mentioned this elsewhere in the Gospel of John as we work through it. I just wanted to say that again, that you need to take that good news with you this evening. And it's this. Jesus Christ has paid for sin in all its forms and manifestations and every judgment associated with every sin. That's why you are free from judgment. Hallelujah. Now, into John chapter 20. I want to ask you, how many of you have been involved? I know you can't answer me, but I'm just saying this. <laughs> how many of you have been involved um, in apologetics? Now, apologetics is not apologizing for what you believe. It's a pity that it's called that, but that's really what it means. It's defending your faith or standing up then for your faith or giving good reason for the hope that is stored up within you. Now, I've had the privilege um, on several occasions and, and, and times to minister to people of other religions um, who are outside of the the realm or then the domain of Christianity. They believe something different. Uh, they have a different mindset and paradigm, and they are locked into that particular uh, system of belief. Now, when you when you talk to these people, there are a number of things that they love to talk about. There's a couple of groups that love to talk about eschatology. They love to take you to the book of Revelation and talk about the kingdom that's to come that Jesus promised and that you can be part of that and so forth and so on. Then there are others who will bring you into new age. They'll talk about a lot of new age stuff. And the point is, the one thing that they're going to completely oppose you on is the identity of Jesus the Messiah when you declare that he is Jehovah God. That's the number one thing, and I've spoken about that already. And then number two is when the the subject of the resurrection is placed on the table. You will find that most religions are here going to rise up on their heels and they're going to oppose you like you have no idea. And you have to know what you are talking about when it comes to the resurrection. Why is that so important? Because re these religions have, have no problem with you talking about that Jesus was a good man. They will heartily concur. They have no problem with that. You can even say, well, he died for, for our sins. They okay with that. You can even go to that he was um, a, a, a great prophet. They will nod their heads and agree with you. You will talk about his love and his compassion and his miracles and his signs and his wonders, uh, his wisdom. All of that is okay. You must just not talk about the resurrection. You say to me, why is that so important? Because that's the one doctrine that the devil himself hates with a passion for it to be taught anywhere. 
That's why I am not going to rush through this chapter either. I'm going to ask you to be patient. I'm going to ask you to, to oblige me in this. Because if I have to do this in one sitting, I'm either going to rush through it or I'm going to miss a whole lot of things that we were supposed to talk about. So I'm going to do just a bit of an overview of the first section. We possibly could do it in two sections, but I want to just really take the time and mention the things that are pertinent to your belief system so that when you are approached by somebody from another religion, that you're going to have a, a leg to stand on, that you'll be strong in your defense of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about the resurrection, we have to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You will remember when we discussed um, chapter 19 of John, I asked you to read Isaiah 53 as well as Psalm 22 because they were companion chapters to John 19. In John 20, I'm going to ask you to read the first half of 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It just will substantiate things that you are going to see in the 20th chapter of John. Now, I'm going to read from verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, For I passed on to you first of all what I also had received, that Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One, died for our sins in accordance with what the Scriptures foretold, that He was buried, that He, here it is, arose on the third day as the Scriptures foretold, and also that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Then the rest of the chapter, right up to verse uh, 15, 16, it talks about how that the, there were so many witnesses that saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. So I'm not going to go into that. What I do want to talk about, though, is in verse 19. If we who are abiding in Christ have hope only in this life, and that is all, then we are of all people, all means all people, all people in the world, most miserable and to be pitied. So what Paul is saying here is that if our salvation is only for this life, on this side of heaven, in these limited earth suits, in these bodies that we have now, then of all people, we must be the most miserable people on the face of this earth. And that's his argument here. But I thank God that there's a resurrection. And now he goes into verse 20 and he says, but the fact is, that Christ the Messiah has been raised from the dead. And he became the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in death. And that is why other religions have such an issue with the resurrection, because it proves that the one who came to die for our sins is also the one who was resurrected to complete the, the full circle of God requiring a sacrifice, God becoming the sacrifice, God receiving the sacrifice. So when he sent his son, it was to complete the circle. That's why Jesus had to be raised from the dead. So we see in chapter 20 how that Mary now comes to the tomb. It says it's still dark. She gets there and the stone has been rolled away. She now runs and she tells Peter and she tells John who comes running to the tomb. And we see in verse 3, it says, Peter and the other disciple came out and they went towards the tomb and they came running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and arrived at the tomb first. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not enter. Then Simon Peter came up, following him, and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. But the burial napkin, which had been around Jesus' head, was not lying with the other linen cloths, but was still rolled up, wrapped around and round in a place by itself. 
Then the other disciple, obviously again speaking about John, who had reached the tomb first, went into and he saw and was convinced and believed. For as yet they did not know and understand the statement of Scripture that he must rise again from the dead in Psalm 16.10. Then the disciples went back again to their homes, to their lodging places, but Mary remained. I'm not going to even read the rest of verse 11. I'm just going to go up to there. And like I said, I don't want to make this a long recording, guys. So let us get straight into it. So John and Peter now, after hearing from Mary that the body's not there, they run towards the tomb. And I love the fact that John is this um, this very humble disciple, this very loving disciple. <laughs> but, he, but he mentions here, and I think it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek here from John, where he's a little bit... I would say a little bit cheekier where he says, we both ran, but you know what? I outran Peter and I got there first. And I've got an analogy that I can draw from that to say that love actually outran uh, conviction. Because remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. And here is the, here is the disciple of love running fast uh, to the tomb. And also Mary plays a very significant role in this whole in this whole thing where Mary here was Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene was the one that we know that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. And I'm so glad that she is mentioned in this story. And you're going to see why when we talk about this in our next session. But Mary plays a very, very important role. And I'm glad that the Lord brought her in. But Mary was never disqualified. Even though Jesus had driven seven demons out of her, her troubled past did not disqualify her to become the first witness. Now listen to this. Mary Magdalene was the first witness of the resurrected Jesus and his first commissioned messenger of his resurrection. And it was a woman. And you're going to see the significance of this. Now this woman, Mary, the reason why she came to the tomb, there was a specific purpose for this. She wanted to basically complete um, what Nicodemus and Joseph had started as far as the embalming of the body is concerned. But we, we must also be very conscientious of this fact. Sometimes we are a little bit hard on these people because you and I, when we read the scriptures, we have, we've got a rounded understanding. We have intelligible reasoning, um, I would say facts that we can operate from because we've got a platform that we can launch from because we know the scriptures and we know what it says. But when Mary got there, we must remember she had no idea what was going on when she saw that he wasn't there. Um, I, I think her first reaction was probably to think that the body was stolen. Um, she wasn't anticipating the resurrection at all. We're in hindsight now and we can say, come on, Mary, you know, we... Um, we are all believers. You should have known that that's what happened. No, no, no. Let's have, let's have some understanding that she didn't know. Both these guys now ran towards the tomb after Mary told them. And when they get there, John goes in first. It says, stooping down and looking in, he arrived first at the tomb. And he was looking in. Now, that word in the Greek there is very important. When he looked in, it's the word blepe in Greek. It's the ancient Greek blepe. And it means to clearly see a material object. It's to look for a material object. So he obviously saw the embalming cloth and he saw the grave wrappings of Jesus still in the tomb. He saw it lying there. That's what the scripture says. And there was no mistake about what he saw. But what was it that kept John from going in? 
there's quite a bit of speculation about this. There are basically uh, two schools of thought. The first school of thought was that John felt that it would have been ceremonial defilement if, a, if he perhaps even touched the body when he went in there. And secondly, some scholars say it could have been just the respect of the dead. And that's why John didn't go in. But now Peter's a different story. Peter gets there and just exactly the way he is in his nature, he doesn't stop at the door. He just goes straight through into the tomb. Now, I personally believe that uh, Peter's action-oriented impulsiveness uh, was basically characteristic of him, and he wanted to have a proper look of what was going on. And it says he also saw the, the cloths lying there. And he saw, and now that Greek word, the ancient Greek word for what, uh, for what Peter saw is different to what John saw. The word here used in the Greek is theore, and it means to contemplate, to observe, or to scrutinize. Theore, and I know you know already which English word we derive from this Greek word theore. Theory, an Afrikaans theory. So what was Peter doing? He was contemplating, he was assessing, he was um he was looking at the situation, he was analyzing it, that the cloths were still orderly and neat. It looked as if the body basically had evaporated or then just lifted out from the burial wrappings without even disturbing them. Now, when you look at the way it was left, the wrappings, remember it was left like a cocoon. So Jesus really just lifted through these grave embalming cloths. He raised himself through it and and it says it was left very neatly in place. So I want to say it was a very neat resurrection, <laughs> if we can call it that. Now, we know that the mixture of the ointments and the aloes and spices would dry and harden the linen cloths. And it basically left it like a cocoon. So Mary, we saw now already that she was the one that was going to just finish the work that uh, Joseph and, um, and Nicodemus did. Now, John now came again. Remember, he came first. He didn't go in. Peter came running into the tomb, came out. But now it says in verse 8, And John again, he came in and he saw and he believed. Now listen, after Peter went into the tomb, John also went in again. He then saw the ancient Greek word, and he saw the, he saw the ancient Greek word for the sorry, means um, to understand. It's the Greek word Aiden. To understand, to perceive, or to see the significance of. And it says, and then John believed. So the distinctive arrangement here of the burial wrappings in the way it was left now convinced John. And he believed. Remember, Peter saw, but he was theorizing. He was contemplating. He was thinking. John now saw when he went in, and he believed. And again, I want to say here, John ran ahead of Peter. John's believing was ahead of Peter's because the disciple of love believed first before the disciple of um, remember contemplation because Peter denied him. Peter had a lot of thoughts going through his mind at this time of if Jesus was really alive, how was he going to handle the situation with Peter in that Peter kind of neglected to defend Jesus at the last run of Jesus' life, for him to be there when he said he never knew him. I believe, again, John chapter 
chapter 20 verse 29 comes in here we're going to discuss it tomorrow where it says blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believe john had not seen the resurrected christ peter had not seen the resurrected christ but they believed just because they saw the embalming cloth because of the fact that we've got hindsight because of the fact that we've got insight even as christians today we can understand much better the meaning of the resurrection but the the resurrection to you and me does mean that jesus was declared to be the son of god with power according to the spirit of holiness and by the resurrection of jesus from the dead in romans 1 verse 4 the resurrection means that we have assurance of our own resurrection guys this is what gives me incredible confidence is the fact that jesus was raised from the dead that this body of mine is also going to be raised from the dead for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 The resurrection means that God has an eternal plan for these old bodies of ours. Well, some of yours, young bodies. But this one is an older body. And God has a plan for this older body. And like I said to you, we are looking forward to those new bodies. But Jesus retains the body. And he declares that God feeds the body as well as the soul, that the body is as sacred a thing as the soul, since the soul makes it its sanctuary. Remember 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 and 20, I'm just giving you the references, you can read it yourself, where it says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that we must look after these bodies, that you must look after the temple of God. And that is why, in essence, I'm into health as well, and why I'm into health products. And, and I believe that we must keep our temples healthy. We must keep our bodies healthy. It's important to do that. The resurrection means that Jesus has a continuing ministry. Oh, this is exciting. When I'm going to share with you from Ephesians chapter 4, how that, and I'm not going to go into it tonight, but where the gifts were given through the resurrection power of Christ, but that's a different subject. And he's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. Remember that's in Hebrews 7.25 and Romans 8 verse 34. The resurrection means that Christianity and its God are unique and completely different and unique among all other world religions. The resurrection was also the proof showing that the payment was perfect in the sight of God the Father and that the risen Christ is the embodiment of the covenant. It's the embodiment also of the atonement and it's the embodiment of holiness. And I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to go any further because when we talk about the next session, guys, get excited. I can hardly wait. And I'm being honest with you. I can hardly wait because we are going to talk about factors that I'm going to bring in from the Old Testament, bring it into this tomb. And you are going to see the significance of Jesus having been raised from that particular spot and where Mary was and these two disciples. So, Father, I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus that as we received this hearing in our ears tonight, 
of this teaching of Jesus being raised from the dead victoriously, that we are of all people not most miserable, we are most excited because of the fact that the hope that is in store for us, that we know that this life isn't it, there's much more to come. For when we breathe out our last here, we will breathe in, breathe in our first in the new resurrection life. And we honor you for it, Father. We give you praise tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.